Ahoy, and welcome in to another exciting episode of Not Allowed to Die, your podcast about mental health, where I, Dan Bigler, social worker and life enthusiast, answer your questions about mental health. Also talking about my experiences as a social school social worker and a therapist in private practice. Always remember, if you have questions for me, you can email me at daniel.magler, that's M-A-I-G-L-E-R, at live.com. And in the background, as always, is my intrepid podcast partner, Mariska, the three-tooth Patterdale Terrier. And right now, you can hear she is not licking her paws, which is a good thing, because that means you guys have been doing a great job of rating and reviewing the podcast. She always appreciates a couple more. The Thanksgiving season is coming up, and Mariska gives thanks for that kind of thing. And she wanted me to remind you that we do this in part to draw attention to Paws for Patrick. Paws for Patrick is an organization that brings the love of animals to the people who need it the most by connecting people to emotional support animals, providing support in acquiring the animal and getting emotional support animal letters so that for people who need to have one to have an animal in their dorm or apartment, we can do that. So today, Mariska is super extra excited because she always loves it when we have a guest. And today, I've got Heather Hester. Heather is the founder of Chrysalis Mama, which provides support and education to parents and allies of LGBTQIA adolescents, teenagers, and young adults. She is also the creator and host of the podcast, Just Breathe, Parenting Your LGBTQ Teen. As an advocate and coach for parents and allies, she believes the coming out process is equal parts beautiful and messy. She works with her clients to let go of fear and the feelings of isolation so that they can reconnect with themselves and their child in a meaningful, grounded way. Heather creates a space where growth and shifts can occur through education and empowerment, instilling the confidence that anyone can move through the coming out process with understanding and love. She also works with companies, DEI initiatives to educate and empower their employees. She's a writer, married to her best friend of 27 years, the mother of four extraordinary kids, three of whom are LGBTQIA, and a student of life, who believes in being authentic and embracing the messiness. And I have to say, yesterday I was running my LGBTQ group at school, and I was telling them that I was going to have on the podcast this week someone who is an expert in helping parents through this process. And they were so enthusiastic, because, and one of the students said, my mom needs to listen to this. And I said, well, guess what? I've already emailed your mom uh, links to this <laughs> podcast. So I am truly a fan of your podcast, and so it's so exciting to have you on. So Heather, you know, can you tell us, how did you get into all of this? Well, thank you for having me. That was such a lovely introduction. And I'm, I was studiously taking notes here because I was like, oh, that's so beautiful the way you said all of that. Um, so I, well, first of all, I'm delighted, delighted to be here to talk to you and, and Mariska. And, um, and I, you know, I got into this just it was so super unplanned. Um, I, my oldest son, uh, almost six years ago, came out as gay. And at the time he was uh, 16 years old. And um, we had no idea. We did not see it coming and did not know what to do. We were, we were pitifully underprepared or unprepared, just completely unprepared, not even under, um, to be able to support a kid through the coming out process. We didn't even know there was a process. So we, the first eight months really of our journey were really, really rough because 
my son went from being a very typical oldest child. It was overachiever. He was very good at that. Okay, this is what people want to see from me. So this is what I'm going to put out there, right? Well, meanwhile, the turmoil that he was going through and had been going through was just boiling up and really hit, I think, once he was able to come out to us, his parents, um, and we were, you know, accepting, affirming, loving, even though we had no idea what to do. And and neither of us grew up in families that were necessarily accepting or affirming, but that was just our, like, this is our kid. Like, mm-hmm. why would we do anything else? Right. Um, and so he really, really just spiraled um, and struggled with, I mean, he was already kind of a a high level anxiety kid, right? And just, so they were like, you know, we were putting the band-aids on it. We really had no idea how to even support him through that. And so it just became this like initial, like, okay, how do we, this, this kid is really struggling. How do we support him? What do we need? What does he need? How do we find this information? And, um, and it just, the spiral kept going down and down and down to the point where he was using very maladaptive coping techniques, um, strategies, not the tools that any of us had been learning. And um, we did almost lose him to suicide. And at that point, we were like, all right, something really drastic has to be done. And um, he was not only in, in danger from himself, but he was in danger because of some of the um, external coping techniques. There was some danger on the outside as well. So we did um, have him, we, we live in the Chicago area, and we found an intensive therapeutic um, place in California that works with kids like Connor. And we sent him there almost immediately. And um, he was there for seven weeks. So fast forward, we're going through this whole process with him. And, and about a year in, I thought, this is insane that we are having to go through this, like that this is so difficult, that it has been so difficult to find information, that it has been so difficult to find support. And um, I just felt like I was in this like constant, like really intense advocate, not only for my child, but for myself and for our family. And it was just so difficult. So I thought, well, I'm going to, I've found now all these great resources. I'm going to start putting them into a website, which is what I did. And um, that's how Crystal's Mama started. And it really was just like a, a place for me to dump all these great resources. And I'm a writer. So I just started writing, like, it was kind of a good journaling place for me to like put my thoughts. Um, and then, you know, three years ago, I thought, well, it was getting really great traction. What is, what's a better way to reach people and to really help people know that they're not alone on this journey. Um, and there are so many pieces to it. Um, that's how the podcast was born. So she is three years old this month and I'm delighted. Um, and of course things have just kind of spun from there. So, um, as I've seen a need, I've tried to step in and it's, you know, as you know, this is some, uh, a niche that needs more people, right? Needs, needs, mm-hmm. needs people, needs information, needs support, needs advocacy. So, um, 
that has become from, you know, a parent in crisis to, I don't want people to feel the way we feel or we felt. So it's my life purpose. <laughs> well, I think what I love about your podcast is it, it covers that intersectionality of, you know, LGBT parenting and LGBTQIA kid is never just about, you know, just that uh, it's also about how is it with interaction with family, the, the intersection with mental health, because for, again, and obviously as a school social worker, and I've said on some of my other podcasts, when I'm dealing with a kid who has treatment resistant depression, it's almost always related to either an, you know, an untreated trauma or sexual orientation and identity issues that they're not really being able to process. And so these, these things like no kid and all, obviously I'm sure all four of your kids are very different and all kids are different. And that being said, these, like we need, I, I got started in the, my work with queer kids in part as a social worker, because just doing, doing the numbers and the highest risk groups for suicide being LGBTQIA kids. And so, okay, I, you know, at Barrington high school I needed to start a group for that. And then just learning so much from the kids. And that's another thing from your podcast has just been great is seeing the evolution over time as you keep learning more things and learning with uh, the community that's growing up around you. You know, my sister and we've talked offline that, you know, when her son came out, you know, she, my sister has always been a huge ally and really comfortable in the community would go with her good friend to, to see her son do drag shows and things like that. And she had known her son was almost certainly queer from when he was young. He just, you know, there was a lot there that would, were you know, suggesting it. But when at 13, he finally came out, this anxiety and panic washed over her of, what do I need to do now? Do I need to start researching PrEP, which is an HIV prevention drug? It's like, no, he's 13. <laughs> we can just take a breath. And so we were calling me up and saying, you know, it's like, there's just these fears. And I said, you know, really, you need to be probably more, life is probably going to be harder for your heterosexual daughter than, you know, your queer son. But what are some of the things that you're, when you're working with parents, that they're just having, like, what are they, some of the anxieties that you're, you're hearing a lot of from different parents when their kids are coming out? Well, I think you just hit on one of the the biggest one is that there is just this kind of natural fear that washes over. And it, it is almost like, almost always about their life is going to be so difficult. It's going to be so different. It's going to be challenging. They're going to run into, you know, this, 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 and this. How do I prevent that, right? How do I stop that? How do we change this? What do we do, right? And so it's like this initial, such extreme panic that, you almost have to kind of work through that and get that to settle first before you can even talk, you know, before we can even talk about anything else. And it really then just becomes, you know, talking about and it. And as you know, it's very different, you know, if your child, whether your child is coming out as gay or if your child is coming out as trans or if your child is coming out as non-binary, right? Those are three very different um, <clears throat> identities orientations that need very specific support and, and and education, right? So then it becomes really just this education piece where, you know, I, I really just kind of let the questions come and discuss how to become educated because I believe that once you have that knowledge, that knowledge takes that anxiety way, way down, right? And your child feels that because if you're anxious and you're worried and you're scared, even if you're not saying that out loud to them, they pick up on that energy and they're like, oh, well, should I be afraid? Should I be, you know, am, am I really that, you know, 
is there something wrong with me? Right. And that's where that mm -hmm. whole, like, there's something wrong. Um, my child is different. That's another big thing. Well, I don't like to use that word, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and that's something that over time, I, it's something I never would have even thought about before, but now I'm highly sensitive to because I think, okay, this is like that subtle messaging that we don't want to say to our kids, right? And we don't want to say to ourselves. So um, I don't know if that really clearly answered your question, but that... Yeah, but it did. But this idea that it's just an overwhelming, like a wave of just fear that hits people. And that, you know, while this may be your first time going through this, you're not the first family to go through it. So we can slow down and look at examples from other people. And I think in all mental health treatment and the, the most underutilized skill and tool is psychoeducation of the family. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's so incredibly important in helping any person. I mean, even if you're a person who is 27 dealing with anxiety, but having your family not get it, not understand can be so damaging and make you feel toxic in a way. Now I do need to make sure I'm, I'm making it clear. Being queer is not a mental health disorder. Um, you know, so I need to like, so any of my listeners who are thinking, because I'm saying that it's, it is definitely not a mental health disorder. It is only a disorder. So like there's things like gender dysphoria or sexual identity dysphoria. So if you are feeling bad about yourself because you, you have, you are, you know, atypical or you're, you know, something other than the norm, then the, that's the problem. Being who you are is not a disorder or not a problem. It's just the stress of that. But so back to, yeah, like that idea of, so where are some great, some places that you first direct people to like some research, obviously there's resources on your page, but where are some other ones that people are like, oh, that book or this other podcast or thing really helped me to frame this a little bit differently. Where are some first spots to check? Oh my goodness. Well, okay. One of my hands down favorites is the Trevor Project. Mm -hmm. um, love, love, love the Trevor Project, not only for what they do, but they have such a deep um, resource, deep resources available on almost every topic. So um, I really love them and I really love their research. They do really mm -hmm. solid research, um, which really helps to give an idea of, I think it kind of takes away that piece of, oh, I'm alone, right? To being able to see that and be like, okay, I'm not alone. And there are, you know, once down the road, here are some ways we can help, right? Here are some things that we can do. Um, and I love that they have support for kids. Not only they're a crisis line, but they have a chat line. They have mm -hmm. online chat that's monitored, which I think is really, really important for our kids who love to be online, right? Yeah. And want to have that connection with others who are in going through similar things that they're going through. So love Trevor Project. Um, for parents specifically, I always direct to PFLAG. I think, you know, PFLAG is wonderful, especially if you are an in-person and support type of person. Um, not everybody is. So that is something that is is lovely to have that you know, in-person community. Um, they also have incredible resources online um, as far as their national PFLAG goes. Um, podcasts. So I have um, a couple that are more specific because one of the things that people do ask and it is you know kind of a niche of a niche but um it is the whole question around religion 
Mm-hmm. And um, I, I know for me, it was definitely a huge piece of my initial learning and unlearning. Um, and so I do always refer to Susan Cottrell and Freed Hearts because that's all she does. And she has a podcast. She has a book. She um, has a website. And she's phenomenal when it comes to that. Um, the other person I refer to for that is uh, Colby Martin. And he did a whole very specific study on, it's called Unclobber. And it's like really, so if you're really like, if religion is a sticking point for you, mm-hmm. those two are really, really great um, books, websites, podcasts to listen to. So yeah, what I'm for for people who are you know in the Christian faith community, I think Jen Hatmaker does a lot of uh, great writing, and um, yes. also uh, Glennon Doyle uh, too. And you know, yeah, we can probably wax <laughs> on our fandom of Glennon Doyle as the yes. <laughs> one of the things in reading Untamed that I occurred I wasn't even doing well, which is the the greatest gift anyone can give you is their trust, and when someone comes out to you, that is such an incredible expression of trust. Mm-hmm. And in Glennon's book, she pointed out that like so many families will say things like, we love you no matter what. And, but that's setting a subtle message. It's trying to be positive, but it's sending a message that you're not okay. Like it's as, as if you have this disease or you've brought home an iguana or something else <laughs> like that. So this, this idea that we really need to celebrate that. And every, so for yes. me, it's shifted my speaking to every kid who comes out. My first word is congratulations. Right. Um, but you know, so for you, is that something that you're seeing with people that they're kind of like, oh, even even with this deformity of your soul, we're still loving you? Is that like how oh. it's being expressed by some families? Or yes, that is a huge one, and I love that you brought that up. Well, first of all, love that you brought up Glenn, Glenn Doyle because that would have, if I would, I just want to keep talking. But I mean, that is my personal like, I love her so much. Probably it's unhealthy. Um, <laughs> But I'm I'm reading Untamed again for the second time. I just started it again last weekend, and I was like, oh my gosh! I just this is you know, even reading it again. I am picking up things that I didn't pick up before, just because mm-hmm. I'm in a very different place than when I initially read it. So super cool. Um, but yeah, so th- the the languaging around that, I and like you said, I think sometimes in some cases it's very much said without even realizing what they're saying, right? Mm -hmm. It's not meant to be um, a, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. I love you even, even though, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm always, when we, when I talk about this, it's like very specific that it's, I love you, Mm -hmm. period, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it's not even though, but, right? The, the, The qualifiers on the end then make it not, unconditional love anymore. right? (laughs) So, um, you know, we don't agree. Like there's, you know, there's a whole list of things that, you know, even though we don't agree with your lifestyle, which like, let's pick apart how many words we hate in that sentence. Mm -hmm. I mean, holy cow. Um, But that is something that people, you know, many, many people encounter. So it is good to kind of have your responses ready, right? And your, um, and just, also, you know, if it's being said to your child and you are, that is not the way you run your household. That's not what you believe in your household. It is perfectly okay to, you know, circle back and, and you know, address that directly. Uh, because I think that's so important for our kids to know that we've got their back and that, you know, 
we're, we're advocating for them. Um, of course, whenever appropriate, it is good to kindly, gently correct others, right? Um, so something something else that you had said that I really thought was so sorry, I lost my train of thought. It's it's totally gone, but it was it was something that you said that maybe you'll say it again. <laughs> yeah, we'll circle back to it. But <laughs> well, you know, and you were mentioning about, you know, again, back to the, the online piece. And you uh, you know, there are so many people, one of my uh, coworkers, you know, he didn't realize he was gay until he was in his 40s and his wife said to him, dude, you're gay. Um, you know, so people's space, like, so it's, it's actually a gift for some of these kids to be able to realize at 10, 11, 12, that they're queer. But then you personally had to deal with the challenge of, you know, when you're a young queer person, you want to date, you might not have people in your high school, people who are like, know who they are yet. And a person who might be 24 might actually have more in common with a 16 year old because they might be at a similar place in the coming out process. But how to deal with the fact that like if people are making bonds and there's a significant age gap or there could be dating. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience with having your son kind of make a connection with someone who is older and how you, how you navigated that? That is a beautiful question. So, um, you know, initially I will tell you when we, when he first, first came out to us, you know, in that first week and, and we were very much in that, stage of asking all the questions that you should never ask, right? Like, are you sure? I mean, I still, like, and I use, I tell people that all the time because I don't want people to beat themselves up for asking that question. If that's a question you ask out of like, I'm trying to like get my footing, right? So it, the important thing is that you circle back to it and address it and apologize for it, right? Um, so but we were at that first stage and, you know, so is there somebody at school? Do you, you know, do you have a crush on somebody? And, and I will never forget, you know, he kind of looks at us and he was like, well, um, I don't, I'm not really attracted to high school age kids. I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to older guys. And I was kind of like, like, what do we mean by older? Like, <laughs> like, like 19 older, you know, like older, there's, there's a lot older. Right. And so he wouldn't address it. Like that was something that was not addressed that he wouldn't talk about in those initial few months. And, um, and because we were in a place of just floundering, we had no idea the apps that were out there, the mm -hmm. websites that were out there, the ways that, um, you know, kids can connect in potentially very unhealthy and dangerous ways, which is exactly what he did. So he initially did, um, and, and he was doing it because he just needed to talk to people who were right. But as you and I both know, there are also people in that world who are preying on kids that mm -hmm. are Right. And so, you know, it, that's why it did become a very dangerous situation. However, all of that being said, um, he did once he did, you know, go, get through those first couple of years and graduated high school and went off to college. Um, that was still his very much as like, I'm just, you know, I don't really connect with guys my age. I am attracted to an older guy. Um, and he started dating somebody who was significantly older than him. And initially, you know, my husband and I are both like, I, I don't know what we think about this. Well, I, I mean, as it turns out, it, it didn't matter. Right. 
they had this, I mean, they just broke up after being together for three years. Wow. And, um, and this, this human being is one of my very favorite human beings in the whole world. Um, and he just was so great for Connor and, and vice versa. And they had this lovely relationship. So what I learned, you know, is one of the many things that we've learned along the way is that, um, gay male relationships are, have their own set of rules to them, their own way that they work, that, you know, lesbian relationships work very differently, right? Heterosexual relationships work very differently. There's a reason why that worked. And so I would say to any, you know, parent who's kind of encountering this is, you know, obviously stay in tune, ask questions, but it is not the end of the world. And I am grateful every single day for this person being a part of Connor's life. So, well, that's one of the things that kids, when I was talking to them yesterday, were saying, you know, the biggest misconception that heterosexual people tend to have about uh, queer people and their lives is how much sex is in the sexuality. That, you know, parents, some parents, I the kids say, well, my parents said, I don't need to know. I don't care who you, you know, want to kiss or do whatever else. But the reality is this is a part of a person's identity. Right. And for most of us, 99.9% .9 of the time, we're not kissing or in a sexual contact with anyone. Right. But it's, it's about who we are. And even in relationships, you know, again, my wife and I, the vast majority of the time we're together, we're not copulating, you know, we're not doing right. anything. It's, so it's not like the, so, but again, people here sexual orientation. And again, they cannot move past the sex piece of that. And right. I think, you know, what I hear you saying is if you are making your child feel like they can't be open with you because you're going to judge or throw a ton of advice on them that, or do other things, then they're going to hide things. Right. And making it so that they feel safe, that no matter what they're doing and what they're sharing, you're not just, again, like if, whether it's about alcohol and drugs, whether it's about the way they drive, the more we are radiating judgment and don't do this, the more they're just going to hide things from us. And then, then we're not going to find out about the scary things that could be going on, you know? So it's, it's about keeping that openness. Is, am I hearing it correctly? On that? Abs I mean, a hundred thousand percent. Yes. And I mean, if I could, that is probably in the top three of my biggest lessons learned that I try to share all the time with people is just keeping that openness. And, you know, a close second would be part of that is you know, educate yourself, mm -hmm. learn, 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 because the more you understand whether it's, you know, your child's, you know, identity or sexual orientation or mental health or I mean, whatever it is, right. The, the better you can support your child and the, the better you can create a very authentic open relationship where it is this, like, you can be very calm and you're just, your energy and, and what you're in your support of this kid so that they feel comfortable coming to you and being messy because they're adolescents, they're young mm -hmm. adults. It's it just, that's how it is. It's messy. Right. Because, and they're, they're trying to figure things out and we would much rather have them figure it out with us than to tap into all these other places where it could potentially be very harmful. So, Yeah. We're, we're heading, you know, right now as we're recording, we're getting closer to the holidays. And I know that that's a stressful time for everybody, but a big extra stressor for families dealing with these is 
what do we say to grandma or who are, who's all, who are we all coming out to and who gets to know at the Thanksgiving dinner table and who doesn't get to know <laughs> any tips you have for families about, you know, like I recently had a student who parents were just like, Hey, before we're, we just need to slow your, slow your coming out process down because we need to just make sure we're all secure. And like, again, back to that, like sort of a, are you sure type thing? Like, let's let, let everybody know, because what if you change your mind in three weeks? So what thoughts and feelings do you have about just, you know, like that, that how, how to negotiate that process of like, okay, how do we, how and when do, and what if we have family members that we know are not supportive and, you know, so any thoughts on that? Right. Um, absolutely. That is one of the few things that we did well from the beginning, which I still am like in shock about. Um, <laughs> which was, it was always a discussion between the three of us. And from really that very first week where, you know, it was who, who do you want to come out to? Who do you want to share this with? And, and who do you want us to help you, you know, be there and support you with, as you tell them? Um, so there's kind of like three levels, right? Like, and typically teenagers, you know, they want to tell their friends themselves, of course, mm -hmm. I mean, that makes total sense. Um, I have found, I mean, in our direct experience and in other people's experience as well that I've worked with, that sometimes your child wants you to be present, but they want to be able to say it themselves, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes they just want to, they want to do it without you there, sometimes they want you to do it. Mm -hmm. So it is all about the, the most important thing with all of that is it needs to be a decision that you all make together and, and not a, we don't feel comfortable. So we don't want to tell, we don't want you to tell anybody mm -hmm. it is. And that's a very important distinction. This is your child's story right and and they have they have their process the fact that you are in a different place in your process doesn't get to supersede where your child is in their process and and don't my other little thing on that is it's very important to keep those two things separate your child is going through enough and processing through enough they don't need to carry what you are also processing, right? So don't like dump this out. Like, this is so hard. I don't want grandma to know because this is really hard for me. That's your stuff. That's, mm -hmm. that's your stuff that you work through with your therapist. And that's a whole other thing that you know, <laughs> everybody should have a therapist or a mm -hmm. social worker or a support system. And that's, I feel that that is a non-negotiable, very important piece of this. That's just my feeling. Um, but, you know, as far as telling people, I say, you know, whatever feels right to you. And as long as you are all on the same page, your child wants to say, you know, let grandma know at the Thanksgiving table. Child lets grandma know at Thanksgiving table. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. When Connor, um, I mean, he came out to many people at many different times, but it was about a year and a half after he had come out to Steve and me, my husband, um, that he came out to my parents. Mm -hmm. And um, for many, many reasons, they live far away, being one of them. But he called them. He decided, he's like, I want to do it. I just want to tell them, right? Mm -hmm. So he calls them up and we're all like on the phone because he's like, be, be on the phone. So 
we're, we're on a, a landline, which is why I'm doing this. Um, and we're all, you know, he's like, just be on there and just listen. And I'm listening and, and they just happened to be at a museum and my mom answers and put him on speakerphone. And he decided he was going through, he's like, I made my mind up. I'm going through with this. And I'm thinking like, you can hear the echo as he's saying, grandma and grandpa, I just want to tell you that I'm gay. And it's like echoing in the museum. <laughs> And, and my, you know, and they answered very much the way I, I thought they would, you know, my mom said, well, because my mom always knows, um, um, well, I had a feeling that's what her mm -hmm. response was. And my dad said, well, make sure you get that AIDS vaccine. And, and I am like biting my lip, like trying not to laugh. And he's shaking his head at me from the other side of the room. And I was like, you know what you shared, mm -hmm. right? Like that was so important to you. What comes back at you is not yours, mm -hmm. right? That's not, that's theirs. Mm -hmm. And so, and he was very, at that point, like he knew that he was like, all right, done, check. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think one of, some, one of the things you hit on also, it just, it's, it, no matter how supportive and ready you are as a parent. So let's say you're a parent and you've got your gaydars going off like crazy. You're like, my kid is, I'm just, and I've had parents who just, they want to tear the bandaid off and just say, hey, just tell me you're gay already. And the point is for kids, it's incredibly traumatic to have their, it's, it's a violation if they are not able to come out at their own pace. So you cannot rush it and you cannot rush them and they, they have to be ready. To, and there's a great book called Ask the Passengers um, by A.S. King. And it's a, a YA novel, but it's the, it's a, a book where the main character is she's gay and her best friend is gay, but she's not even ready to tell her best friend. And there's this thought that, oh, well, if people are supportive, of course you would want to tell them, but it's it's about each individual and their own pacing and their own time. And if you try, if you it, for, for the students that I've worked with, where the parents just kind of said, you know, well, I know this, or you're telling me right now, are you gay or what? Like that is, it's, it's really, really a violation. It's all I can call it as a violation. And it's uh, really damaging. It really is. I mean, in, in so many ways, because this is their story. Mm -hmm. This is theirs. And however they want to write it is how they get to write it. It doesn't matter how messy it is. It doesn't matter if it's not on our timeline. It doesn't matter if it doesn't happen the way we want it to happen. Mm -hmm. um, it, it happens the way they want it to happen. And again, you know, it's circling back to the fact that, you know, many of our kids are coming out now at these, you know, young adolescent, adolescent, young adult ages, where there's so much developmentally going on that it is, it, it's going to be just really messy. And we have to be patient to let them, they're kind of doing two growth pieces at the same time, right? And those are going to fluctuate. And, um, and they may think they come out and they're like, okay, I'm done. I said it, I'm out. Right. And then they realize, OK, there's a little more that I need to process through or there's a little more that I need to work through or need support with or whatever. And and we can't force that. I mean, we can try all day long, mm -hmm. but until they're ready. It's not right. going to happen. So. Right. Yeah. This has been so fantastic hearing about like, you know, the support and learning. So for families, again, who are and parents, particularly who want to learn more and who are looking for that support, where should they go to learn more about you and the podcast and everything that you're doing? 
Awesome. Uh, yes, they can go to my website, which is um, Chrysalis Mama. It's C H R Y S A L I S M A M A dot com. Um, and I have everything from the podcast to writing to resources to ways you can work with me on there. And um, you, otherwise, you can email me directly, which is hh at chrysalismama.com. So I am and the web or the podcast again is on all platforms. Um, and it's called Just Breathe Parenting Your LGBTQ Teen. So yeah. Thank well, again, you. we are so grateful for the work that you're doing. Because again, it's a in order these kids again, they, they need so much help. And this is a, such a high risk group. And the more that any person, and even if you're not a parent and you're listening to this, if you're an aunt, if you're an uncle, if you are just an ally in any way, yes. there's, there's a concept called chosen family. And maybe even if you mm -hmm. choose to never have children, like knowing that you can support these kids, because some, uh, the aunts, the uncles, the, the coaches can be incredible lifesavers. So even if you're never going to be a parent listening to this and knowing how to best support someone, um, can really, literally be life-saving. So Absolutely. please check out everything that Heather has on her website, because there's something we, and again, and as Heather, Heather keeps updating things, her, uh, her book and things like that about the terms and stuff like that. Do you want to give a quick plug to that? Sure. Yes. I totally forgot to talk about that. Yes. Yeah, so I just wrote, um, it's a little under 50 pages. It's called the language of LGBTQIA. And it literally answers, answers every question that people have about, you know, what do these words mean? And some of these more complex terms where we're mm -hmm. just really not understanding them, pronouns, gender identity, um, what to say and what not to say, what words are not okay, what phrases mm -hmm. are not okay. And um, I, I worked about six months on on this and researching and, and writing and it's available in ebook form. So yes, you can also find out about that through my website and podcast and everything, but yes. And, and you got to keep coming back because the, the language is going to keep changing. It, it just right. like, just like, and for anybody who's like, Oh, well, I don't get it. When I was a kid, queer was a terrible term. It's like, yeah, just like every term, every generation, every three years, there's new terms for what's cool, what's not. And, and if you try to, you know, just accept the fact that if you're over 25, you're probably not with the coolest, newest stuff. So just deal with that and, <laughs> and you accept the fact that you need to be educated. Right? There are words that we should not use. Like they yeah. are reserved specifically for our kids to use. Yes, yes, yes. So agreed 100%. Well, again, if you have questions for me or for Mariska, remember to email us at daniel.magler at live.com. And until we speak again, do whatever it takes to get you through this world. And remember, you are just not allowed to die.